Amen. Don't we thank God for that beautiful doctrine of perseverance, that it's the Lord who keeps us. The Lord saves us and the Lord keeps us Christian along the way. And I, for one, am so grateful to God for that. If you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 23 through chapter 2, verse 11. Chapter 1, verse 23, through chapter 2, verse 11. So two verses there at the end of chapter 1, on into the per- first paragraph there in chapter 2. And if you've got your Bibles open there, I'm going to ask you, well, let's just go ahead and stand together out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to you. Beginning verse 23. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you, For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, but to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, for this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Let's pray together. O Lord our God, we ask you even now, Father, would you open our hearts and our minds to receive your word, and God, we pray we would be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Most, if not all, and I've, I've done a lot of soul searching on this over the years of my ministry, my life, most, if not all, of my regrets as a pastor, as a Christian, as a member of a family, as a dad even, as a husband, almost all of my regrets, if I'm to be honest, are rooted in a lack, or in a time in my life when I was unable or unwilling to extend an appropriate amount of grace and mercy. Every time I get the opportunity to talk to fellow pastors, fellow ministers, guys who are not where I am quite yet in ministry, younger than me, or or less experienced than me, and that's a pretty small pool of people, but when I get that opportunity, I I do, and, uh, and I always tell them, if you're going to err, Learn this. I've learned this the hard way. If you're going to make mistakes, if you're going to err, err toward mercy. Err toward grace. 
And, and some of you have probably heard me say that. You come to me and say, I've got this person and what they're doing. They're making a mess of their life. How do I need to handle it? And sometimes my counsel to you and, and is tough love. And, and I think we all recognize that that's needed at times. But I always say, but if you're going to err, err toward mercy. So often I look back and I think, I could have loved better there. I could have been more gracious there. Or I wish I had pursued this person or that person sooner and longer with love and mercy and grace. You see, brothers and sisters, repentance and sorrow and forgiveness and love is a painful business. It's a hard business to be in. It's hard to repent, right? And it's hard to forgive. And sometimes we find ourselves in a context, in a situation, in a time in our lives where we are on the receiving or the giving end of what we've called here this morning severe mercy, hard and difficult grace. I think as individuals, as people, we tend to focus only on what comes naturally to us. So if you tend toward grace and mercy, that tends to be what you want to focus on. Or we instead focus on what we are best at. But instead, don't you think that we ought to focus on what is required biblically? So Some of you may look back and think, not I wish I'd been merciful, but I wish I had been firmer here. Or, or I wish... I told the truth with clarity when I had the chance, but instead I was kind of a pushover. We, we all balance out in different ways, but here's the truth, is that God is gracious and merciful to us in every circumstance. This morning, I, I want to show you three ways that God's grace, the grace that's been given to us in Christ, and I think that's the subtext of what Paul's talking about here in this passage, the ways, three ways that grace impacts not only the grace God's given us, but the grace we ought then to show. Three ways that grace impacts the business that we have. And that's the business we are to be about of repentance, sorrow, forgiveness, and love. Forgiveness, repentance, sorrow, forgiveness, and love. So how does grace impact those things? Three ways this morning. Here's the first. Grace is our primary desire. Grace ought to be our primary desire. Another way to say this is grace ought to be our operative desire. Grace ought to be what drives us in the business of repentance and forgiveness. Grace ought to be the driving desire for us. Look at verses 23 and 24, the last two verses of chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again. Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. I, I simply misspoke last week and, and accidentally put Paul's visit to Corinth on the wrong side of his visit to Macedonia. I, I, I said that he uh, didn't come on his way, but did on his way back, but it's actually the opposite. He did on his way. He, he made a surprise visit. First Corinthians 16, Paul had said uh, what he was going to do, that he was going to go to Macedonia, that on his way back he was going to come by Corinth. Well, he gets word from some of his associates that things are not so great in Corinth, so he kind of surprise visits them. 
kind of a sneak attack, I guess, right? He shows up on them, and that kind of throws them off, and then he goes on to Macedonia, and instead of coming back like he said he would, he doesn't. Instead, he sends what he will call here a tearful letter. But here we see Paul demonstrating the sort of grace and love that we ought to have on the front end of dealing with a difficulty. Now, as this passage progresses, we'll see the sort of grace and love and mercy we ought to have on the back end of dealing with a situation. But here, Paul's dealing with it on the front end. He's, he, what does he say? He says, it was to spare you. And I love this. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. You see, brothers and sisters, if if we're going to develop a culture in our churches and even in our homes and our friendships and our Sunday school classes and our church, if we're going to develop a, a culture of confession and repentance and forgiveness, and I think we ought to as Christians, then grace must be our operative desire. Grace must be what drives us, what animates us. You see, Paul says, it was to spare you. He's demonstrating, I was being gracious to you in not coming then because I knew it would be a difficult trip. I knew it would be a difficult business that we would have to undertake. And so he's giving them time to repent. When I was in seminary, and, and even now among Christian ministers, I think there's a real passion. And, and listen, I think it's a good thing, but it, there's a real passion Talk about being willing to stand strong when it's time to stand strong. And one time I was with a group of pastors, and I talked about how from time to time it's a wise thing to just let folks be. You know, sometimes folks want to act ugly in the Lord's church, and if, if someone's not really actually causing any problems, they're just trying to, you know, they're mad at me or something like that, I'll talk to them directly. But one person in this group was kind of asking me, like, don't you feel like when somebody's doing something uh, that's just mildly disruptive and uh, they're doing this and this, don't you feel like you, you ought to send the deacons and go handle it and deal with it and everything else? And I said, well, you know, I understand what you're saying, but sometimes that can cause more disruption in the church than just leaving them be sometimes. For this one man, I mean, it's just unthinkable to him that we wouldn't just deal with everything immediately. But brothers and sisters, sometimes it's good to wait to deal with a situation. Sometimes it's a good thing to just stop and calm down and consider where you are. Paul says, it was to spare you that I refrained from coming at this time. When I was in the fifth grade, I did something really stupid. Anybody else do anything stupid in the fifth grade? <laughs> That's what I thought. I'm the only one. I, uh, my friends and I, now listen, this is about to be a gasp-worthy kind of thing, okay? And, and those of you who are sixth-grade boys in the room, as your parents oftentimes tell you, you know, just because Pastor Matt says it doesn't mean you should do it. So here's the reality. Me and my friends were at the spring fling. We were helping get ready for the spring fling, and there was a, a car that had been donated, and uh, you spray-painted teachers' names on the car. And people got to hit it with a sledgehammer. I don't think we could do that anymore in, in 2019. But it was the Wild West back then. And, uh, and, so, uh, and so the challenge became, though, that they parked this car really temptingly 
near school buses. And so my friends and I, as we're helping spray paint teachers' names on this car, look over and see those school buses. And it was far too great a temptation for a group of fifth grade boys to overcome. And so we each walked by with our can of spray paint and sort of hit a little dot on the school bus. So we scoot off and start going to the spring fling. And next thing I know, I've never seen a man in all my life a deeper shade of red than the principal of Corley Elementary School was that day. And he called us all into his office, and I thought, this is it. I'm, I'm done. My life's over. He's going to murder me here right now. <laughs> One of our friends, his dad was a pastor. We're, after we get in trouble and we're all supposed to be going out to do the school bus, his dad pulls up like a hit job, pulls him into the car and squeals off, doesn't tell anybody. He's just gone. And we say, he's dead. <laughs> he's gone forever. But I'll never forget what the principal said to us. I'll never forget what he said. He said, boys, I would paddle you right now, but I would lose my job if I paddled you right now because I am so angry with you right now, I, I could spit, and so I will not paddle you right now. Sometimes it's good to wait, and I thank God that he waited that day. <laughs> I thank the Lord for that. Sometimes it's good to stop and to wait. Paul says, I, it was to spare you that I refrained from coming Corinth. You see, if we're going to develop a culture where people feel comfortable confessing their sins, we must also be comfortable granting forgiveness and loving one another and seeing, seeing the, the dark side of folks. Like, we all know our own sins, but we want to gasp when we hear others. You see, our tendency is to either shove sin underground and, and thereby to develop a, a culture of gossip and judging where everybody's kind of got a low-grade fever of sin, and we all sort of talk about it, but it, it really never comes to light. So we just kind of talk about it behind their back. We judge one another. Or a culture, we, there's a temptation to just ignore and even praise sin. You're so brave for doing that. If you're, if you're talking to a friends about sin, and they start calling you brave and praising you for it and encouraging you towards sin, find new friends. Find new friends. Or, or churches... Sometimes, not only will they have a culture of gossip and judging where sin goes underground, or, or a, a, a culture where sin's brought to the light, but they, uh, or, or they ignore it, or they praise it, but they have a laissez-faire attitude towards sin. But sometimes, churches want to take sin seriously, and so they develop a culture of domineering over folks and shaming folks for their sin. An unhealthy approach to dealing with sin. However, if we're going to have a healthy culture in our church and in our churches, a, a biblical culture of dealing with sin, then we must let grace be our operative desire. Grace must be what animates us in the painful business of repentance. And then and only then will we take sin seriously, seriously enough to confess it to one another and will we take sin and grace seriously enough to forgive one another. Paul says... It was, to ref it was to spare you. Grace is his operative desire. The second thing we need to recognize is this. Grace can be hard. Grace can be hard. I, I think we tend to think about grace entirely in happy terms. And, and I will say overarchingly in the scriptures, grace is a happy thing. 
grace is beautiful because we get what we didn't deserve because of God's grace to us in, in Jesus Christ. God loves us, and he, he gave us something wonderful. And yet, and yet, grace is hard to hear, isn't it? If you really understand, grace is hard to hear because when you hear grace, what you're really hearing is you were not good enough to do this on your own. That's a hard thing to hear. That's a tough business to hear. And so often what we want to do is, is we want to paint grace and mercy as a thing where we just ignore sin and, and just talk sweet to one another. But the problem is that we still have guilt that we deal with. Paul wrote to the Corinthians what he calls a tearful letter instead of going back. It was to spare him. Spare them. And so he wrote him a letter. I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you, verse 1. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. In other words, Paul wrote a letter that was painful, but he wrote it out of love. He, he wrote a difficult letter to the Corinthians. And, and what he's saying is, when I come to you, I want to come to you so that we can share in joy and fellowship. But there's some business that needs to be taken care of. And so I wrote you on the front end so that when I get there, instead of us having a painful visit together, we can have a joyful visit together, which we ought to have. He wrote a difficult letter to the Corinthians, and it caused both of them pain. Grace is a tough concept for our culture and society, but I'll also say tough love. Ha having the hard conversations is a tough concept for our culture and our society. I talked about this some in a class Wednesday night. We, we, we live in what some people call a post-truth society where, where people want to say what's true for you is true for you and what's true for me is true for me. Where you hear people say things like, I'm just living my truth. And everybody's just living their truth till somebody else lives theirs in a way that they don't approve of. And that's when we go from having a laissez-faire view of morals and ethics to a very pronounced view of morals and ethics, by which we ostracize and anathematize people who we disagree with. Uh, the operative way that our society functions right now is like this. Do what you want until we don't like it anymore. And then we're going to create a mob and try to run you off the face of the earth. However, the Bible calls us to a different way. Right? The, the Bible calls us to a different way. The Bible calls us to be in each other's business along the way. And that doesn't mean that you're called to be a busybody, but what it means is that we ought to have levels of accountability in our lives by which people can get in our business along the way. But by which people can speak to us and speak into our sin. But by which other Christians can say to me, but, Matt, you, you've got to get it together in this area, brother. This is a blind sight, sight, spot you don't, you don't see. But we've got to, along the way, be convicted for our sins. We've got to be willing to have the difficult conversations. And this is part of the ways that mercy is so severe in the Christian life. It's so often we have to have things brought to life. Grace can be hard. But finally, we must recognize grace 
is spiritual warfare. Grace is spiritual warfare. Beginning in verse 5. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. Here, here we're seeing the other side of church discipline. Now, some people think that this person who was punished by the majority is the same person that in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul said to expel. But, but the context of uh, over sexual immorality, but the context of 2 Corinthians seems to me to indicate that it's probably not that person. This is someone who's kind of leading some sort of a, a rebellion against, against Paul. Now, that's not to say there's no way it was that man. In fact, if you think about it, wh- whoever it is that Paul, whoever it is in his family that Paul had expelled from the church the last time, is probably involved at some level in not liking Paul now. <laughs> Pretty typical. Uh, I, get, I get it. They don't like him. So I'm sure they're involved at some level. And, and as we all understand the way church controversies work, it's never one thing. It's never one thing. There's always multiple things that go into any sort of situation. And so, and so Paul recognizes it. We recognize as Paul talks about this one person who's been punished by the majority. I think it's a new person, but maybe it was the same person. But nonetheless, we get to see Paul on the front end of church discipline in 1 Corinthians 5, whether it's the same person or not. We get to see him on the front end of church discipline, the, the, the steel spine of Paul. Expel the unbeliever from among you. But on the back end, we get to see Paul on the back end of church discipline. This person who's been punished, Paul says, by the majority, I I think that means whoever it was, was more than likely expelled from the church. And I want you to notice the sort of language that Paul uses for this person. Paul tells them to forgive and comfort the one who was punished. This is what the Bible says. For such a one... This punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Listen to verse 8. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Do you see Paul's ministry? Do you see how hard it is to regularly strike a balance? Sometimes Paul, at some point, Paul's having to say, you must do this. You must do what's right. You must be firm when it's time to be firm. But in other moments, Paul's saying, I beg you to reaffirm your love for this person, this person who clearly led some sort of rebellion against Paul's own teaching. Paul is saying, reach out to them, love them, lest they be overwhelmed by their sorrow. I beg you, he says, to reaffirm your love for him. He, he goes on to sum up their forgiveness and his forgiveness in verses 10 and 11. And it ends so beautifully. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Paul says, don't worry about me. If you're willing to forgive him, he, he's not caused me pain. He's caused all of you pain. And so he says, if you forgive him, I forgive him. And in fact, if, if I'm forgiven anything, it's been for your sake in the presence of Christ. Why? Why does Paul say in verse 11? Notice this. So that we would not be what? outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Brothers and sisters, one of Satan's designs, obviously, is to try to get us not to care about sin. And I feel like that's the one we think the most about, right? 
that, Lord, would you show me? That's how we pray typically. Lord, would you show me sins I don't know about? And we just assume the devil's trying to get us to, to, to ignore sin in our life. And perhaps he is, and often he is. And sometimes the devil's trying to get us to have a low view of sin. But don't think for a moment that there's not an error on the other side of the road where it is easy for us to not care enough about grace. Satan's design is not only to get you not to care about sin, but he also wants you not to care about grace and forgiveness. Paul says we are forgiving one another. We are expressing our love to one another. We are keeping this brother from excessive sorrow. Why? How? Why? Because of spiritual warfare. 1 Corinthians, Paul says, hand them over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. 2 Corinthians, Paul says, we don't want to be outwitted by Satan. Now is the time to show grace and to show mercy. We We are in the midst of spiritual warfare in every one of our lives, in our church. Every day, the devil hates you and wants to destroy your life and destroy your church. And isn't it odd? That of all things for the devil to be at work out, according to Paul, Paul says the devil is at work trying to get you to love and forgive less. Love and forgive less. Perhaps what it is is that we don't take sin seriously enough. Because we have to take sin seriously enough to deal with it on the front end, but we also have to take sin seriously enough to remember that the blood of Jesus was shed for the sins of sinners. And that He bought that forgiveness with a price. And so even though we must stand firm on God's Word with steel spines, we must also have soft hearts that have been softened by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because the Lord's blood was shed not only for the sins of sinners other than us, but for our very own sins. Perhaps Satan is at work to get you to be hard and recalcitrant and unforgiving and unloving because the opposite is so near the heart of God as it's been revealed in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, these things are a hard business. They're a severe mercy, but they're precisely what God has called us to in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your trust and your faith in Jesus for the first time, I want you to know something this morning. I want something to be so abundantly clear to you today. You are a sinner before a holy God. And God hates sin, and you deserve punishment for your sin. But the story doesn't end there. God has provided for you glorious Perfect forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ that's been shed for the forgiveness of your sins in such a way that if you will turn from your sin in repentance and turn to God in faith through the Lord Jesus Christ, He will save you this morning. He will make you whole this morning. It's a tough business. It's a severe mercy. And yet perhaps God today is pursuing you with His grace. I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to become a Christian if you'd like to come forward. Second of all, You may be a believer, and you may say, Pastor, I I just need some time at the altar. This altar is open for you today. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you so much that you did not leave us in our sins, but you did the hard work 
of meeting us where we are in our sins and giving us grace through your Son, Jesus Christ. And God, my prayer is that today we would respond appropriately to that grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.